Philippians chapter 1, we're continuing on in our series on the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. That was a reduced choir. We are going to have a, a bigger, the kids' choir is growing, praise the Lord. And uh, so we're going to have a Christmas program with the kids' choir as well, which is going to be very exciting. I'm really excited about this. So good things are happening around here. Philippians chapter 1. That was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Philippians chapter 1. And the title of um, the title of this morning's message is "Life is One Percent Circumstances." Life is one percent circumstances. I was raised to understand that this world is filled with the haves and the have-nots. Some might be born with a silver spoon in their mouths, but most of us were probably raised in a home that struggled. But beyond the financial impact of, of our upbringing, some of us were born into a Christian home, but most of us were not. Some of us were born into a two-parent functional home, but many did not grow up that way, and perhaps there was no fear of God in our homes at all. Some of us have been able to enjoy relatively good health. Others have had multiple issues that have debilitated them. There are those who have had a decent start to life, but for one reason or another, the adult, life, the adult years have been difficult, frustrating, and discouraging as they have faced disappointment after disappointment. I don't think life has been exactly a bed of roses for any of us. But how do we process that in our minds? That's what I want to talk about today. How do we process circumstances in our minds? How we view our lot in life will either encourage us or it will distress us. Some are crippled by their circumstances. I was speaking to a lady a number of years ago, and she was talking about her husband who had this anger issue, was a serious anger problem, and he would go into a, a tirade of wrath and anger. And she'd explain it to me, and then she'd say, you know, but he had a, just a rough time growing up. The man was 73. In other words, he was living in the past, of something that happened to him over 60 years ago, but he brought it with him all through his life because he was crippled by his circumstances growing up. Now, before you start feeling sorry for him and the things that, he, that happened in his life, which we will not go into, I want to say life is 1% circumstances, but it's 90%, 99% how we deal with them. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, and we're going to read through the scripture here. Philippians 1, 12, it says here, But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have rather fallen out, rather, should I say, unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that by, by, that by, sorry, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing it add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we need you this morning. We need you because you're God. We need your grace. We need your help. 
We need you to help us to concentrate on the word of God. There are things you want to say this morning very clearly to your people. Give us the ears to hear and a heart to understand. Help us, Lord. Help me as I try to get this message across to your people. Fill me with your sweet spirit. Help your people have ready ears. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. But Father, I do pray and I, I, I implore you, Lord, that your people won't hear me. They need to hear Jesus. Please speak to hearts very clearly. Let your people just sit back, open up their Bibles, get into their Bibles, listen to the Word of God, and may your precious Holy Spirit speak to our hearts where we need to hear it. Please, God, minister very deeply to our lives in a, a very fulfilling way that only you can do in Jesus' precious name. Amen. First thing, I have just two points this morning. The first point is this. Paul could have responded very badly to his circumstances. Look at verse 12. It says here in verse 12, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me. Some people want you to know all about their troubles. Now, I don't want to belittle people's struggles as I talk about this this morning. But some will broadcast their troubles on social media and they'll say something to the effect of, I'm not doing okay today. Or else they're going to text you blow by blow everything that's going wrong in their lives. Sometimes we as Christians can do everything we, we, we feel is right, but circumstances still are against us. Sometimes we just have problems. Jen and I were staying in a hotel last week, and I'm glad they didn't leave a common card. It was supposed to be a nice hotel, it had a leisure center and all that kind of stuff, and even used for weddings. But when we went to the bed, we realized the bed linens hadn't been changed. When I went to plug in my phone, I realized there was no USB port in the hotel. Or alone beside my, my, our, our, our beds. I went to switch on the light, the light didn't work. I could go on and on and on, but I won't. Went down, I asked for some linens. She said, I, I'm waiting for somebody to relieve me so I can change your beds. No way, we'll do it ourselves. It's fine. The one thing that was going well for that hotel was the breakfast was amazing. I had a really good breakfast. <laughs> So the staff were really nice too. So as we were checking out, she said, so how was your stay? I said, fine. Just left it at that. It's so easy to be negative, isn't it? It's so easy to broadcast your negativity like I just did right now, right? After all Paul had been through, and all that he was going through at the moment, at the time, he could have been so negative. He could have become angry and frustrated. Frustrated people detail everything that's going wrong in their lives. How are you doing? Well, it's my elbow. <laughs> or it's my knees. Or it's my back. Or my head. And it goes on. They can be negative. Their cup is always half empty, never half full. Instead of focusing on any blessings, they'd rather bemoan the difficulties because it sounds better. Because they're looking for pity, I suppose. Now think of the Apostle Paul. After his conversion... Brethren, he gave 110% to God. He gave everything to the Lord. He was complete surrender to the Lord. I'll do whatever you want. I just want to serve you, God, after all you've done for me. You know, those hymns this morning were a blessing, weren't they? If all you did was hear the words of those hymns this morning, you'd be thoroughly blessed, wouldn't you? So encouraging what the Lord has done for us. Paul got wondrously saved. I mean, one minute he was a fireball for hell, if I can use it that if I can use that phrase. The next moment he's a fireball for God. 
He was so thankful for what the Lord had done in his life. He just wanted to serve him. Brethren, thankfulness brings you a whole long way. There were ten lepers who were healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. One was thankful and one returned to thank him and let him know how thankful he was. Brethren, thankfulness is such a blessing. The Apostle Paul was thankful for his salvation. And everyone in this room is thankful for Christians who are thankful. Because if Christians weren't thankful, they wouldn't evangelize. They wouldn't share the gospel. And if they didn't share the gospel, you, you wouldn't be saved. I'm thankful for that lady and those ladies and those gentlemen who were involved in CES to say the bird for kids. He wanted to see kids get saved. And at that camp in Drahada in, I think it was 1980, could be 1981, I don't remember. Don't do the math, it's okay, old enough, right? But I got saved at that youth camp because people were thankful for their salvation. They wanted me to have salvation too. The Apostle Paul. Give 110% to God. He labored for souls. He stayed when it was hard to stay. And when, what I mean by that, he was being persecuted. He was facing all sorts of struggles and trials and difficulties and challenges. And he stayed when it was hard to stay. And then he left when it was hard to leave. He didn't want to say goodbye. After all he'd been through with these precious believers, their bond was so close, he didn't want to go. He stayed when it was hard to stay. He left when it was hard to go. He loved his nation, though, brethren. We pray for the peace of Israel. Continue to pray for the peace of Israel. He had such a heart for the Jewish people. He could wish himself accursed from Christ for his brethren, his kinsmen according to the flesh. His heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But they responded in hatred towards him. Why? Because Israel was blinded like they are to this very day. There's 8 million people in Israel and they're blinded as a nation to the glory of God, blinded to their Messiah. Isaiah 53, which would lead them to Christ, is the forbidden chapter in their Bibles. Blinded. But Paul's heart's desire was for them to be saved, and because they hated him so much, they were so much against him, he was in prison. He spent years in chains, and I'm sure it got very old, sitting there in prison. Paul could have been so easily angered and felt frustrated because of his circumstances, but instead he waited for the appeal to Caesar. He could have been felt angry and frustrated. He could have been, he could have felt discouraged and defeated. If he wasn't frustrated, he wasn't angry, he would have just been discouraged. His appeal to Caesar as he was sitting in that prison cell in Rome as he wrote his letter to the Philippians, it was taking months and months. When was Caesar? Caesar was on his own time. If you know anything about Caesar, Nero, uh, at, at the time it was Nero, Nero didn't care about anyone. Nero was narcissistic, that big word again, he just was filled with himself. All he did was care about himself. So here's Paul, he's waiting in the waiting room. When would he see his family and friends again? When would he taste freedom again? Looking at those same four walls from, for days on end and for months on end was not encouraging to the Lord's fireball who was under house arrest in Rome. You know, many during the period of COVID know exactly what Paul went through. Our son went through that. He came back from the States in summer of 2021 and he was forced into hotel quarantine. For 11 days, he had to stay in that same room. He had that, as he quarantined in the hotel, it was whatever the size of the room was, we passed by the Red Cow Hotel. And 
and I shudder. You tremor. Flashbacks of Josiah waving at the window. He was allowed out twice a day for 15 minutes as he, uh, in, to exercise in an area the size of a tennis court but all on his own. I think it was worse for him. He was in prison and his parents had to pay for that prison. And we were counting the days when he'd be let out of good behavior. That was Paul, prison, in prison for days, but not just days, he was, it turned, the days turned to weeks, the weeks turned to months, the months turned to years. Paul could have been angry, he could have felt discouraged, he could have gotten embittered. Paul was enjoying a great ministry to the Gentiles in Asia Minor and in, in Europe. It, if it wasn't for the Jews, he'd still be there serving the Lord. He'd return back there. Why did these disgruntled Jews have to come and ruin everything for him? It would have been so easy for him to point the finger of blame at them. But he didn't. He didn't become embittered. He could have been angry. He could have been discouraged. He could have been embittered. He could have developed a victim mentality. He was being unfairly treated for no other reason than, I'm a, I'm a Christian. This was discrimination by his own people, by the Sanhedrin. That was a hard pill to swallow for someone who had their best interests at heart. Under adverse circumstances, like Paul's, we also have to deal with difficult circumstances. Whether it be rejection or abuse, whether it be financial woes or spiritual discouragement, whether it be things that happen to you or things that happen to others, your loved ones. I've seen people get bitter at God for not their own circumstances, but by, for something that happened to somebody else. Many of God's precious children can respond badly to their circumstances. <clears throat> Many resort to anger or discouragement or even bitterness. Some people develop the victim mentality and play the blame game. All of these people are looking through the wrong glasses. Brethren, I want to tell you something. I take off these glasses. Your faces are a little blurry. I can't see anything on the page. I can't, I can't read my Bible. But I put on these glasses and I see things very differently. If I put on John's glasses, I can't read anything. He puts on my glasses, he can't read anything. Different prescription. You need to have the right glasses on. And as we go through life, brethren, we've got to be able to see, to see things through the right glasses or we're going to respond wrongly. Does that make sense? Paul couldn't respond to badly, but my second point, which is my final point, which we're going to flesh out and spend time thinking about, is this. Paul responded in faith. Brethren, the only way we can respond to the circumstances that come our way, there's nothing you can do about your circumstances. There's nothing you can do about how treat, people treat you. There's nothing you can do about how people live or how people behave or people react. There's nothing you can do when you reach out, reach out, reach out, and people throw it in your face. There's nothing you can do when you're in the waiting room and you're waiting and waiting and you seem like you're doing everything right. There's nothing you can do uh, to change those things. But you can. You can have an attitude of faith. Let's talk about that this morning. So what did Paul do? Let's see this. Let's learn from this. Number one, Paul, by faith, he could see God was bringing out good. Look at verse 12 here. It says here, verse 12. 
But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, so that by my bonds in Christ are manifest in all, in all the palace and in all other places. By my bonds, he said, in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in other, all other places. God could see, Paul could see God was doing good here. As I was, uh, and others, have been working on the painstaking responsibility of procuring this church building, I believe, and literally, I felt like hitting my head against that wall, please don't sign me in somewhere. But literally, it has been, anybody who knows anything about what's been going on with this building, it's been very frustrating and disturbing and everything else. And, and I've even had my pastor of the Tongue Baptist Church calling me and saying, you must be frustrated right now. And I was like, well, I'm trusting the Lord right now. I'll be frustrated later, don't worry. We're almost there, brethren. Michael signs. The banks are moving. Everybody's moving. The closing date is two weeks' time. Pray that they meet their targets. That's all I can say. Just get them done. But all these things, I was reminded by a number of people, God's working on your patience. President, I don't need more patience. I don't need patience. I'm not a doctor. Actually, I do need patience, don't I? God is working on my patience, but he's not just working on my patience. He's working on my faith, isn't he? Brethren, it's important to identify as we're going through these things what God is doing. As Brother Ben Shore, a missionary friend of mine, came over to Ireland on Thursday and we had a day of prayer. We had a wonderful time to, 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 together. I just love praying with him. And uh, he reminded me, God is at work. God is at work. So the question is, what's God doing to my trials and my, through my challenges? What's God doing in my life through all this? That's a good question. Paul could identify what was going on through his affliction, and he said the gospel is gaining ground. Verse 12 again, he said these things are falling out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel is going further. Through his hardship, it was reaching even into Caesar's palace, so that by so that my bonds in Christ are manifested in all the palace. And he didn't say my bonds to, to, uh, to another soldier or to a soldier. He didn't say my bonds to a Roman. He didn't say my bonds to a heathen. He didn't say my bonds to an unregenerate, ungodly man. And I'm sure there was a, 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 a cursing soldier beside him. Do you know what I'm saying? But he didn't say that. He said my bonds are in Christ. He said, I'm, I'm in bondage to Christ. I'm serving Christ. I give my life to Christ. This is where he's left me. This is where he's led me. This is what he's doing in my life. My bonds are in Christ. And look what he's doing. He had eyes to see. And he said that through all this, even the palace is hearing with the gospel. And it seems to me that the palace became the hub for the rest of the world. It says here that my bonds, verse 13, in Christ are manifested in all the palace and in all other places all over the world. Everybody was hearing about it. Paul could not have seen that if he viewed life through different glasses. He was looking at life through the lenses of faith. If Paul wasn't in prison at that time, would Caesar's palace be reached? What does faith do in the midst of hardship? It claims Romans 8.28. 
All things were together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. God is at work. God is at work. And that's how you can count these things all joy. The Bible says, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. You can count it joyfully and not complain about it if you see that God is at work. God's working. I know God's working in my life. There are some people who come into church and you may think they're strange because I'm one of them. I'll, I'll, be, I'll admit that you say, well, you're definitely strange. Okay, fine. But they enjoy being convicted by the Holy Spirit of God. There are some people who come to church and if they feel guilty, they feel convicted, they never want to come ever again. Don't sit on my toes. Don't like that. But there are people in this room today who actually love being convicted by God. You say, why? That's weird. Because God is at work. They're seeing the hand of God. Now, I don't know if there's anybody in this room who loves trials. I'm definitely not one of them. And I can't wait to get to the other end of this building situation. I can't wait. I'll have the biggest smile on my face. I'll be the happiest person that this is all done and dusted. But we have to recognize in the midst of the trial that God is at work. God is at work. God is doing something. Paul could see that. And I want to ask you the question, what's God doing in your trials right now? Every single one in this room is probably going through something. And if you haven't gone, if you're not going through something, you're going to go through something. But let me ask the question, what's God doing through it? God is at work, what's he doing? That's a really important question to ask yourself. What is God doing through this? By faith, that Paul could see that God was bringing good through his trials. But secondly, by faith, Paul could see that believers were being emboldened. Look at verse 14. It says here, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I'm helping other people. In 1954, though for those oldies, you might have heard the name Roger Bannister. In 1954, Roger Bannister ran the first sub-four-minute mile. So under four minutes. He ran the first mile under four minutes in 1954. In 2002, men's, the men's world record for the mile was 3.43 minutes. That's a lot faster. Isn't it? That's 17 seconds faster almost. 16 seconds faster, let's say. That is just really, really, really fast. So people will say... And scientists will say, men are getting stronger, men are getting faster. What if men are not getting stronger? What if men are not getting faster? What if men just can believe that they can do more? No, I want to I'm going back to sport again. Apologies. Ireland are playing like I've never seen them play before. They're just getting better in the rugby. Okay? There's a reason why they're number one in the world. I've watched them over the years. They've never played like this. I watch them going into the rocket, they're always too slow. And you see these people go choo, choo, pass the ball. And, 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 and Ireland was, was never could, do, could never do that. But now I see them passing like New Zealand pass. And fast, they're getting out of the rock really quickly. And, and, and they're doing much better. But the reason is, they believe they can do better. And, 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 you know, you hear these team players heroize, oh, he's the best in the world, and these are the best players in the world. But, you know, they're in the right team. That makes all the difference. On the right leadership, it makes all the difference. They believe they can do it. I wonder how many people would make better players for Ireland, but they just were never given an opportunity. I wonder how many Christians could be fireballs for God but they were never 
afforded the opportunity to serve in their church or never challenged to, ch to serve in their church or just going to like a, a fellowship group where they're just socializing. That's what church is, just socializing. But they've never been challenged to say, you can do more for God. And it never occurred to them that they could do more. Brethren, these Christians around the Apostle Paul that were free, they looked at the Apostle Paul and they said, if he can do that for Christ, I can do more. I can do the same. I can do more than what I'm doing right now. It works. They were challenged. Paul was affecting other people and he was in prison. <clears throat> His willingness to suffer strengthened the faith and resolve of others. In the 1500s, the whole world quaked with fear at the threat of the Inquisition. We were at the, towards the end of the Dark Ages. The Catholic Church ruled the world and, and emperors bowed at his command because they were so afraid that he'd tell their nation, you're going to hell. And if he told the nation of that emperor that you're going to hell, then, then, then they'd all turn against the emperor and they'd turn to the Pope. He had so much power. Roman Catholicism kept the whole world under its thumb, believing its lies until October the 1st, 31st, 1517, a man called Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of a chapel. That changed the world, brethren. It changed the world. Thus the Reformation began, and only a decade or two later, Calvin took his Protestant message to Switzerland, and Knox took his message to Scotland. The courage of Luther emboldened them. They would never have done it if it wasn't for Luther. Now, I don't believe Luther's message. I have big issues with his doctrine. But I can't fault his courage. It took a massive amount of courage to do what he did. And I recognize that. <clears throat> and in the same way, Scripture explains how the people were also influenced by the courage of, of the Apostle Paul sitting in prison with joy in his heart and peace in his soul. Like John the Baptist, there must have been times Paul doubted. Perhaps at times, all he was doing was existing survival mode. But his heart was in tune with God and through the proclamation of the gospel other believers were emboldened. By faith he could see uh, that believers were emboldened but also he could see that Christ was proclaimed. Look at verse 15 to 17. It says here, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention not sincerely Supposing to add affliction to my bonds, which is, I can't believe people do that, but they do. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Some of the brethren who proclaimed Christ while Paul was in prison were divisive, the Bible tells us. It says some indeed of envy and strife, they were divisive. Many commentators believe that they might have been Judaizers. Judaizers were people who, who, who said, you know what, you can be a Christian, but you need to keep the law of Moses. And these were Jewish Christians and they were legalists and they were stuck in the Old Testament. And they took issue with Paul not expecting all believers to be under the Jewish law. And they would gladly preach in any way to make life more difficult for the Apostle Paul. And an ill will and strife is what the Bible tells us. Hard to believe people are going to be like that, but they were. They preached Christ, the gospel harshly. They were looking for a reaction. Evidently they wanted to stir up the Jews against Paul even more. But the fact is they were preaching Christ. They were preaching Christ. They were getting his name out there. 
And even if their hearts weren't right, even if their doctrine wasn't pure, God was able to take the simplicity of the message and bring people into salvation. And brethren, the lesson is this. God can use people we can't agree with and still use them if they're preaching the gospel to see people get saved. That's a blessing. That's a blessing to know that. God is able to bring sinners to repentance. I've heard people in the most weird churches come under conviction of the Holy Ghost and get saved. Praise God. Some preach divisively, but others proclaim Christ sincerely. Look at verse 17. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. They were genuine. They got Paul. They got his heart. They had the right attitude, the right spirit, the right doctrine. They were the type of people that Paul would love to fellowship with and he could enjoy their fellowship with him because they genuinely loved his word, the Lord's word. They genuinely loved the Lord and they genuinely loved people. Paul loved being around people like that. And Paul definitely rejoiced in that. But brethren, Paul didn't worry about people's methods and he didn't worry about people's motives. Verse 18, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense, I mean attitude completely wrong, or in truth, Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. The purists will say they'd rather preach was not Christ. Sorry, let me say that again. The purists would say they would rather that Christ was not preached at all rather than be preached by someone who wasn't, who didn't represent him well. And I confess, I used to think that way. But the Apostle Paul didn't. He just said, praise God, Christ has been preached. Yeah. Brethren, there's some lessons here. <laughs> Let's talk about the lessons here. It's not our job to criticize and condemn believers we don't agree with. Even if they're dead wrong, and there are people who really are dead wrong, it's not our job to criticize them and condemn them. It's not our job to set them straight. It's not our job to fix their doctrine. Leave them to God. He's the judge of all the earth. Let him take care of them. We can only instruct those who are willing to be instructed. We can only correct those who are willing to be corrected. We can only teach those who are willing to learn. We can only influence those who are willing to, to, be, to trust us. And brethren, we should preach the word of God and truth, right? But we're, treating, we're preaching the word of truth to people who want to hear. You can't force people to hear what they don't want to hear. You can't force people to believe what they don't want to believe. That's not our job. Our job is to give the word out and preach it in truth and say, this save the Lord and let God deal with the rest. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. That's just the way it is. So make it their business to set everyone straight. They're often arrogant and they're critical in their spirit. They don't make good friends because they're fault finders. And once they find a chick in your armor, you're next. They think they're God's gift to the church, but really all they do is tear it down. And if these brethren spent more time minding their own business rather than minding somebody else's business, maybe they'd start minding God's business. And bless them. I think of the Apostle, uh, sorry, not the Apostle Paul, but Saul, King Saul. David was chased down by Saul. Saul was wrong. But David didn't spend his time going after Saul. David spent his time going after God and influencing whoever he, he, he could. And while Saul was dividing a nation, and he divided it in two, when David came along, he united the nation under the truth because he didn't go after Saul, he went after God, and that's the difference. 
You don't have to compromise your doctrine, and you don't have to compromise truth by, by not going after people who are wrong. You just focus on Christ, and you preach the truth with all your heart, and let God deal with them. David let God deal with Saul. God did. His time came. But David focused on what he needed to focus on. That was his relationship with God. He didn't always get it right, but he did focus on. And here's Paul, the biggest soul-winning heart in the world. He could see the overall picture. And his attitude was, the Apostle Paul, his attitude was this. Leap to God. Now, if they cross my path and they start trying to mess with my converts, then we're going to have a confrontation. That's different. If we have false teachers coming into this church and trying to sway people away to false doctrine, I'll go after them. I will. Because my job, that, then now you're my business. I mean, like the... the, the uh, South African training coaches going into the Irish camp and trying to give them advice, and, they, they, and, and, and uh, the, the coach said, no, no, you leave my people alone. I'll deal with that. That's different, isn't it? Paul wasn't going into their camp. He said, leave them to God. I'm going to leave with my people. But they come to my camp. <laughs> We're going to have a battle on our hands, because now you're on my territory. <laughs> bit different, isn't it? Perhaps these errant believers would lead other people to Christ. Perhaps the converts would find themselves going to solid churches. I've heard that. I've seen it. In fact, there was a, a heretic, and his name is Steve Anderson. He's not the Steve Anderson of the Baptist world. He's another Steve Anderson. He's a heretic. He just is. So a name because he's a heretic. And he's a Baptist. And the thing is, his converts have found, his way, have found their way into our sister churches. Praise God they got saved through his heresy. Not through his heresy. Let me say. They got saved when they heard the gospel from his mouth. And they sort of missed the heresy, I suppose. And they got saved through that. And then they find themselves in the good churches and they get under sound doctrine. That's important. That's important. God's able to take care of that. Let God do the battling, rather. Paul didn't worry about their motives. He didn't worry about their methods of all the teachers. He was just concerned himself with his message. And he rejoiced that Christ was being preached and people were getting saved. Brethren, we've got to see God in all this. We've got to see the hand of God in all this. Yes, we've got to be true to the book and unswerving and, and, and not be swayed with every wind of doctrine. There's so many believers who are being cast around in the wind. We've had so many storms in the last several months and we have believers being thrown around in the storms all over the place. Stick to the Bible. Be faithful to the Bible. And when those people come your way, help them as much as you can. By faith, Paul could see God was bringing out good. Believers were being emboldened. Christ was being preached, no matter what. And brethren, I think this is encouraging. By faith, Paul believed that the tide would turn. Look at verse 19. For I know, he says. That's pretty confident, isn't it? I know. I know that this shall turn to my salvation. My deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What Paul was saying is, I know I'm going to get freed someday. I'm not going to stay in prison forever. I'm not going to be in these circumstances forever. I'm not a victim, and I don't need a victim mentality. I'm not uh, someone who is oppressed, and I'm not going to act like someone who is oppressed. I'm not someone who's cast down. I'm not going to act like someone who's cast down. I, my life is not over. I'm not destroyed. My life hasn't been taken away from me. No one can take my life away from me, only God. And I see a better day, Paul said. I know that this shall turn to my salvation. I shall be delivered from prison. I shall get out again, because the Lord is with me. 
Paul believed in prayer and he knew the Philippians were praying for him. He knew God was working on his behalf and that the work, and, and God was working towards his freedom. And you know what he's saying? My circumstances will change. Brethren, there's so many people who live like life is 99% circumstances and they go along with their circumstances and they're, and they're ensnared by their circumstances because they don't believe that things will change. But if you just have a different perspective, life is only 1% circumstances. I'm going through the 1% right now. But the 99% is coming, right? <laughs> Things will change. Things will change. It'll get better. I know it will. Paul did not see his imprisonment and modern trends within Christendom through his circumstances. He saw them through the eyes of faith. It makes life... It, it gives you a completely different look on life, doesn't it? And that's because life is 1% circumstances. And it's 99% how we deal with it. And may I say this morning that the Apostle Paul dealt with his circumstances really well, didn't he? As we said from the beginning, life is 1% circumstances, 99% how we deal with them. Let me ask you the question, how do you handle the frustrations of your life? Do you get frustrated? Do they make you angry? Do you get bitter? Do you react? Is there a tirade? Is there an explosion? Or is this a seething anger that just comes out and it's just difficult for everyone around you? You get discouraged. You go low. <coughs> if that is your response, dear friend, listen carefully. You need Christ. You say, I'm saved. It doesn't matter what you're saved, you need Christ. You need Jesus Christ in your life. You need to get back in your life again, whatever that means. I'm not saying you need to get saved. That's, that's between you and God. But you need to make him central in your life. You need Christ. You need him. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you trusted Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Have you put your faith in the one that hung on the cross for your salvation? Do you see what he did for you? Does it make sense what he did for you? Do you realize he was wounded for your transgressions? Do you realize he was bruised for your iniquities? Are you ready for the weight of your sin to be gone? You want it on Jesus. Are you ready to give it up? And say, God, take it all. I want it gone. You can have it all. Have you trusted him and his death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation? Brethren, if you look to Christ in the midst of your deep waters and you see life through the eyes of faith, you will see that God is bringing you good in your circumstances. What's God doing? Well, I, know, I, don't know, I don't know yet, but I know it's going to be good. What's God doing? Well, I, I, I'm still going through it, but I can see some good here. God is doing good here. Perhaps your faith-filled response will help other believers. Because you're not the only one going through a hard time. I was talking to somebody recently. I can't remember who it was or the circumstances. But the person said... I was so glad to hear other people going through hard times like me. <laughs> it's encouraging. And I don't mean you want other people to struggle. We don't want other people to struggle, but it's encouraging to know that you're not the only one struggling, right? I'm here to tell you this morning, you're not the only one struggling. God can bring you right through what you're going through right now if you're willing to trust Him. And if you do, your 
faith-filled response can help other people going through their struggles. Especially when you tell them what you're going through and you're telling them how the Lord is helping you. That's a blessing. You know, that might be a better social media response. I'm really going through it right now, but I know God is on the throne. I'm having a discouraging time right now, but I know he's my encouragement. I know my Redeemer lives, and I know we'll stand with him on the latter day upon the earth. I, he knows the way that I take when he tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Life may not be what I want it to be right now, but I know the one who can make it better, and I'm, I'm making a be life for Jesus. Have you been in a discouraging time right now? But I'm in my Bible more than I've ever read in my life before. Life isn't what I wanted to be right now, but my prayer life has improved drastically. Those would make good social media posts, wouldn't they? And you know what? That would help the faith of others. That's Pauline. The Pauline is a theological term meaning relation to Paul. Okay, not Pauline the girl, Paul. Like Paul, Pauline, that was Pauline. Okay, it's a theological term. That'd be like Paul, wouldn't it? Perhaps, like with Paul, your faith-filled response will promote the gospel from your corner of the world. How can you go through that right now? I mean, why are you still standing? I mean, you surely, if I were you, I'd give up on God altogether. And you would cheer and say, I know. But God's grace is too much for me. He's helping me. He's bringing me through it. And if it wasn't for him, yeah, I would give up. But he's there. I know he's there. I want you. I want your God. How are you doing this morning? Are you responding to your lot in life as a spirit-filled, faith-filled Christian? Remember, life is 1% circumstances, 99% how we respond to it. May the grace of God teach us to respond in the right way. Can we go to the Lord in prayer?